All right. Well, Dr. Wilson, we're back in Dr. Luke today. And the doctor has good news. As we have been seeing and as we come to chapter 4. Chapter 4 of uh, the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13. Hang in there, read. The sermon has come. That means we don't have too long left to go. And depending on how hungry the preacher is, we, we all might get out of here sometime soon. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Listen, I'm about to read God's Word. That's important. You know, a lot of you tuned in to ball games yesterday to see if your school was going to do okay. That was important to you. Believe it or not, this is much more important than that. Not because of the one who's standing here. His sins are many. Pray that the Lord will have mercy and deliver a sermon to you in spite of the one who's standing here. But listen, this is God's word. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So may the Lord bless this reading of his word, for it is his word. Everyone, please take out a sheet of paper and a pencil. Those were some of the most dreaded words I ever heard in the course of my life. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I still wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because in a dream I have heard a voice say exactly that. And suddenly, I'm not ready. All of us have been caught unprepared in one test or another. Now, you may have been above average and you were well studied and prepared for those quizzes that came up. And by the way, I want to say that some of you I know happen to be the ones who administered such quizzes. And I forgive you. Jesus has taught me how to do that. Even so, there are tests for which we are always unprepared. Like people I've talked to this week who have had homes inundated with flood water. I've seen cars being carried out of even Benita Bay, it seems, by the hundreds this week. How could we have been ready for a storm? You say, you were ready. You were up in North Carolina. But it wasn't by my choosing. I had to be in Atlanta for meetings last week or the week before. 
but we often are not prepared. What we need to know, as I try consistently to tell you, is that even though we fail consistently, the Lord Jesus was always prepared for everything that came his way in the course of his life, demonstrating for us that he is the Savior of sinners. And so I affirm, and by the way, for those of you who still listen to Walk Through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee, I have a quote in there from him today telling us in no uncertain terms that Jesus was not tempted to see if he would fall. He was tempted to show us that he could not fail. Do you understand that? And so Jesus, being baptized, having heard this affirmation from heaven itself, from the Heavenly Father, saying, you are my beloved son, affirming to the whole world that Jesus is the Son of God who was brought forth by the Virgin Mary, who was loved by God and is pleasing to God, having experienced that at his baptism and being filled with the Spirit that came upon him like a dove, remember? You might think, if Hollywood wrote this, what great task will he undertake at this moment as he goes on to live happily ever after? But in reality, something else happens. Immediately, he's led by that same Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. That's not what we would expect. That's not the way we would write the script. But it is God's plan for his son that having been filled with the Spirit, he would immediately go into this desert place where there is nothing to eat. And for 40 days, he is without food to be tempted by the evil one. Notice, he ate nothing. And one of the great understatements in all the world, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Of course he was. Jesus was in the most weakened, physically at least, way possible. And the devil speaks to him. Notice, Satan speaks. He says to him, if, now it could be since you are the Son of God, but it seems to be the case that he's questioning the Lord Jesus at this point. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Notice that throughout these temptations that Satan is attempting to get Jesus to short-circuit the process, to, to take the short road to get to the destination. And yet Jesus answers in the way that all of us are called upon to answer when it comes to temptation. How is it that we should respond? What is our defense? He quotes Scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone. And it's hard to remember that when you're hungry. He was starving. He was in this extremely weakened condition, and yet he is able yet to do that which is pleasing to the Father. Not to succumb to what Satan wants him to do, but rather perseveres in doing what the Father wants him to do. So Jesus is not merely being an example for us in this. He is demonstrating what he alone could have accomplished for us. And, of course, there's the other temptation. Now, if you're familiar with the gospel according to Matthew, you know that there is a difference in these accounts. You know that there's a a little difference in the chronology of these events. But it is Luke's purpose to finish by talking about the temptation that occurs at the temple. Because the temple is important 
in Luke's presentation. And so rather than following Matthew's chronology, he has a purpose for telling this story in the way that he does. So just know that. So he, uh, Satan basically offers him the opportunity to rule over all the kingdoms of the world, a rule which has been given to the devil. And that raises all kinds of theological questions, doesn't it? Let me just say this, that while Satan, who, by the way, is a real person, after all, think of the success that you could have if you have a diabolical purpose, if you could convince people that you really don't exist. Think of the number of people who are undertaking covert operations today on behalf of their countries who are very much interested in not revealing who they really are. I mean, think of all the spy movies that wouldn't exist if that were not the case. Satan, of course, is very deceptive. He masquerades even as an angel of light. And as he undertakes this attempt to derail the Son of God and his purpose, he offers him a shortcut. Ultimately, the exaltation of Jesus will occur by way of his suffering, by way of his crucifixion on the cross. His exaltation will occur by way of that death through his resurrection and being seated at the right hand of the Father. But rather than go through the suffering, Jesus, let me just bestow this on you now. And in that we see one of Satan's tactics, one which we need to be aware of ourselves. That rather than go through the difficult process of walking the Christian life by, uh, by grace through faith, there are going to be all kinds of shortcuts, a way to be exalted that doesn't mean dying to self and surrendering your life to the Lord, a way to achieve instant gratification, satisfaction in the things of the world. Are those things not offered to us every day? Do we not find that a battle is occurring and raging in our hearts because of those temptations? And so we have to constantly tell ourselves, no, 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 no. Jesus bids me come and die. Not come and go through something easily and live happily ever after. And then further, as Jesus, of course, answers this, because Satan says all of it, Depends on his worshiping the devil. Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We all worship something. We all worship someone. Even atheists who deny the very existence of God are religious. They simply worship someone other than the one true God. Usually itself. And yet the command is to worship the Lord and him only. And then, again, in Luke's account, finally, or in Matthew's account, secondly, he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, a high place, which probably was a point that overlooked the Kidron Valley, which would have reminded the Lord Jesus of his suffering that was to come because it was after he celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples in the upper room that they crossed over that Kidron Valley through which there was drainage from the temple area. And drainage would have included the blood of the lambs that were being sacrificed at the Passover so that the smell of death was literally in the air. As they crossed over that Kidron Valley, they came to a hill called Gethsemane 
Jesus would have known that his life's mission would take him across that valley in the coming years. But in this moment, Satan tempts him and says simply, throw yourself down. Boy, you talk about a spectacle. Have you ever wanted to be the center of attention? Have you ever wanted to be or have people attracted to you because of your ability? Here Jesus had that ultimate opportunity. Throw yourself down. Nothing's going to happen to you. There's a promise in Scripture. He'll command his angels concerning you to guard you and bear you up with their hands lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, you all know I come from the mountains of North Carolina. I have to say that each week because some of you are visiting and you're wondering why I talk funny. So I'm just trying to give you a reason for it. And you know that in that part of the world, there are worship services where they bring out snakes, or at least they used to. And they handle those poisonous reptiles. My mother's first cousin was bitten by one when he tried to break up one of those services. He got himself on national television when he did it. And he almost died. And I remember people were asking questions because at the end of Mark's gospel account, it talks about how that they will take up serpents and handle them. But the thing about that passage in Mark is, is that it's not a command telling us to take up serpents. It's a narrative expression. It's, it's, in, a, it's in a case that, that says in the course of carrying out ministry that the disciples at some point would find themselves taking up a serpent. And, of course, Paul does that on the island of Malta. We are not commanded to take up snakes. Why? Because we are not to tempt the Lord our God. And some of you just breathed a great sigh of relief, didn't you? Now, I do have to tell you that at a ladies' Bible study in Locust, North Carolina, years ago, I was sitting in my office in the church, and I got a phone call from the leader of the, uh, the group. In fact, she was here last year, Allison Burris. She said, there's a snake out in my driveway. I said, hold tight. I got in my car and drove a couple of blocks over there, and, and there was this long black snake lying in the driveway. Now, again, I grew up hunting and in the woods a lot, so I just reached down and picked him up. And he wrapped around my arm, as they do, because you're warm. You know, they like warm things. And so here's this snake on my arm, and all of the women were just screaming and panicking. And I said, this is a black snake. He's not going to hurt anything. Oh, get that thing away from me. I carried him out in the woods, and I turned him loose. I got back to the church, and I got a phone call from one of the elders within five minutes. And they said, preacher, we knew you came from the mountains. But we didn't know about this snake handling stuff. I said, don't worry. We're not going to do it on Sunday. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Satan leads the Lord Jesus until an opportune time. Now, that's just a brief going over things. Just some things to point out to you. That Jesus was filled with the Spirit and was led by the Spirit. That is his testimony throughout the course of his life. And so what I want to remind you of today is that our greatest need is not for better circumstances, but to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We live in a country in which polling does not look good for Bible-believing Christians. Increasingly, people are moving away from a biblical faith. And many of us are under the false assumption that 
if only the polling numbers could be better, if only we had more people who saw things our way, then we could fill up buildings like this one and we could be more successful in life. Don't wait for the polling to get better. Don't wait for better circumstances. The great need of the hour is for believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be in the Word of God so that the Spirit that inspired this Word may saturate our lives. And we need to know that it's often God's will that we go through difficulty rather than escape it. Now, that's contrary to a lot of preaching that you're going to hear today. Oh, if you only have enough faith, you will. Listen, I have met people who are living in the most impoverished of circumstances in this country and especially in others, who are wonderful, devoted believers who are trusting in Jesus Christ. What arrogance it is for somebody like me to come to them and say, well, if only you had more faith, you could be experiencing great prosperity and great health. Would I say that to a dear friend right now in Bethel, North Carolina, who's suffering from Luke Gehrig's disease and has been told by Duke physicians that she only has months to live and probably won't see Christmas? She's a wonderful believer. I don't know what God's purpose is for her in her disease, but I would never be so arrogant as to suggest that somehow something is lacking in her life. Otherwise, she would be healthy. God has a purpose. I believe he had a purpose in Hurricane Ian. I don't believe that God was up in heaven wringing his hands saying, oh, this is going to mess up everything I planned for southwest Florida. God has a purpose, and he is sovereign over the storms and over ALS and anything else you can name. And that his purpose is to conform us to the image of Jesus, and he has a plan that far exceeds anything we could conceive of ourselves. What we also need to know is that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, as I've mentioned, when he was physically at his weakest. Remember that Adam and Eve were in the very best of circumstances, in the Garden of Eden, where there was no sin, where they had plenty to eat, ideal circumstances, and they failed miserably. Jesus, in the worst of circumstances, physically weakened, not in a garden, but in a wilderness, without anything to eat, in the worst of circumstances, he prevailed. So let me ask you, who were you trusting in? Self, that fails in the best of circumstances, or in Jesus, who always succeeds. That's why I'm calling you not to trust in a preacher, not to trust in media personalities that seem to have it all together. Trust in the Lord Jesus. He prevails and he overcomes. You need him. We also see that our enemy most often attacks us through our perceived needs you see you may think that your greatest need at any given moment might be hunger or thirst or if i could just get that thing that amazon has put on special my life will be great and the more packages that show up at the door the less content we are the more i get of the thing that i thought i wanted the less content i become remember john d rockefeller who at one time was the richest person in the world i suppose 
the first billionaire at least. Somebody asked him in an interview late in his life how much more money he required, and he said just a little bit more. You see, there's never enough when you give yourself over to the things of the world. Satan will attack you through your perceived needs. But God knows what we need most of all. What Jesus needed at that moment wasn't ultimately bread that he could make by transforming it from a stone or make bread from a stone. It was the word of God. The word of God is what we need. Satan attacked him at his identity. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Notice how that our enemy knows the scriptures. He knows them better than we do. And he won't hesitate to misuse them for his purpose. Get that. He quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And it's interesting that words are omitted from Satan's quotation. The rest of verse 11 reads, in all your ways. So the passage becomes relevant to the Lord Jesus because he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. As Jesus went about doing the Father's will, the angels would guard him. Satan quotes this as if to say, it doesn't matter what you do. God's going to provide for you. He's going to bless you. And on your hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. He already has a track record of misquoting Scripture. He did it in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 1 when he says, Did God actually say? Notice he posits the question. Puts it in the mind. Did God really say this? That you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Wait a minute. God said there was one tree from which they were not to eat. The tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. But Satan twists it just a little bit. Just as he does with the Lord Jesus. So we know his tactic. He will do that. To you and me as well. As we hear scriptures being twisted and misquoted by many today to lead people astray. And our defense against temptation is to have knowledge of and confidence in the word of God. Now, Satan had knowledge of the word of God, but he didn't have trust in the God of the word. We are called to have both. To know it and believe it. That's our defense. Notice how Jesus responded in each case. Twice he said, it is written, and the last time he said, it is said. His whole defense relied upon what God had said, and he believed it. And so we remember how James says in chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He's smarter than we are. He's stronger than we are. He's like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. He wants to destroy us. Oh, yes, he'll offer you immediate gratification and pleasure and maybe even a great high. But ultimately, the crash is coming, and there's going to be a great accounting. Resist him with the knowledge of the word of God and trust in the God of the word. Jesus, who is the word, we have a defense. Now, he'll come back. Satan left Jesus and returned at an opportune time. He'll come back to us as well. But we keep on resisting, and he'll keep on fleeing. Now, all this is by grace, right? 
by the grace of God working in us so that we have a relationship with Jesus, trusting in the one who prevails in all circumstances. And so we remember what the scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest. Remember the one who intercedes for us? The one who makes our argument before the Father? The one who mediates for us? That's our high priest. The one who has passed through the heavens? He hadn't merely gone through the veil in the tabernacle or the temple. He's passed through the heavens. He has succeeded in his work in life, been raised from the dead, has ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has gone to the source of all things. Jesus, the Son of God. So let's hold fast our confession. Hold on tight. Like that time I slipped off the barn roof. You know, if you're putting down galvanized roofing on a barn, if it comes a little bit of a rain, there's oil in galvanized roofing. And I can tell you from personal experience, it is as slick as grease. Nobody even heard me slip. Tom Gunner said all he heard was, and there I was hanging on the edge of the roof, holding on for dear life. I was giving it everything I had. By the grace of God, that's how we hold on to our confession. We hold on to it, even if the whole world denies it, even if the world makes fun of us and derides us and abuses us. We hold on to that confession by God's grace. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you hear that? Jesus knows all about our troubles because he went through them in this life. But he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Remember, Jesus never failed, and he never will. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Throne of grace, a place where there's forgiveness, a place where there's mercy and understanding and acceptance. When I uh, had to testify as a witness at a trial one time, I was in the eighth grade. And I remember when my cousin, the sheriff, came to get me out of class. He told the principal that I was being taken in for questioning. Oh, he he hawed about that. He laughed about that. He had Mr. Stevens so concerned, wondering what Charlie and Norma Jean's boy had done now. He called me out of class and I remember going into the courtroom, and what was fun all of a sudden became exceedingly terrifying for me because up there behind that bench was Judge Leatherwood wearing that black robe. And I was scared to death, and I forgot to spit my chewing gum out like my mama had told me. And so I sat down in the witness box, and Judge Leatherwood said, Son, spit out your gum. And I was scared. When you come to the most powerful throne and judgment seat that the world will ever know, you need have no fear. It's a throne of grace. Because the Son of God has gone to a cross and has paid the penalty for your sins. And the one who sits in judgment, if you are trusting in his Son, he loves you. And count you as his own child. Just imagine. 
if it were the case when I walked up to that seat and the judge turned and said, hey, son, sit down and let's talk. And that's what we have with our Heavenly Father. Because Jesus has succeeded in every way. And oh, what a Savior we have. Isn't he great? And read, and all of you, that's the Jesus I'm calling you to follow. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he's going to provide for you in ways you can't even imagine. Do you hear that, child of God? Trust him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you, Father, that the good news is far better than anything we could ever have contrived of ourselves. Nobody would have made this up. Nobody could. And so we pray that you will bless us not only to know these things but to believe them. And that you will defend us against our adversary who wants to destroy us and dissuade us and derail us. Lord, we pray the day will come when he will meet his ultimate defeat and your people will be exalted. Not because of who we are, but because of your Son, in whom you always are well pleased. And so we pray in his name. Amen. Our great Savior. Let's stand together and sing it. Jesus, what a friend for sinners.
Gloria, let me interrupt just a moment. Um, our sequencing is a little bit off with the song. I at least want to get the last part of it right. What we're going to sing is, Jesus, I do now receive him more than all in him I find. He hath granted me forgiveness. I am his and he is mine. And we're going to close with that wonderful chorus. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's sing together. Jesus, I Isn't that wonderful to know? And so as you go forth, go with the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.